That is a raucous Thursday <laughs> chapel. Welcome. Uh, welcome to the third and final installment of the 2017 Kuiper Lectures, uh, which, as you heard yesterday, I, I trust, uh, provide us opportunity to explore uh, the work and the legacy of Dutch uh, politician and pastor and theologian Abraham Kuyper, who's been influential uh, both on our campus and uh, in the broader reform tradition um, and in evangelical Christianity in general. So this morning's lecture is entitled All the More as You See the Day Approaching, and our lecturer is Dr. Jim Skillen. I gave a, a full bio yesterday, um, just a, a few quick uh, reminders. He's a graduate of Wheaton College and Westminster Theological Seminary and studied at the Free University of Amsterdam and also did MA, MA and PhD in political science at Duke University. Um, taught at uh, Messiah College and Gordon College and Dort College. Um, perhaps best known for his tenure as the president of the Center for Public Justice, a think tank in Washington, D.C. Um, that explores questions of public policy and public justice from a distinctly Christian perspective, um, seeking to equip citizens to pursue God's good purposes uh, for our political community. Um, he has written or edited or contributed essays to over 30 books, uh, most recently, The Good of Politics, a Biblical, Historical, and Contemporary Introduction, uh, which is a really good book. Um, we're really delighted uh, to have him with us, so please welcome Dr. Jim Skillen. Thank you, President Halverson, for uh, introduction again and for inviting me to be here. It has been uh, a very great pleasure for me to be on campus these couple of days. Uh, I've enjoyed meeting with the students and faculty, uh, the good questions asked, and your patience in my uh, too long answers. Uh, it's good to uh, have an opportunity to learn more about Covenant. I've been here before, but in coming back, I see. Uh, ever and more uh, good things happening, and that's a great encouragement. Conversations have been an encouragement to me to see uh, some of what uh, the Spirit is at work doing here as we uh, live our lives uh, before the face of God. Uh, this morning I want to open by reading a passage from Hebrews chapter 10 in which the phrase, which is the title of this uh, talk, comes from. And uh, just before doing that, uh, part of the reason I've uh, directly used, departed from, used scriptures in these talks is not only because it's uh, uh, fully in tune with the Kuiper tradition, but uh, what I'm hoping to convey to you is uh, that you ought to be reading, try to do more of your reading of the Bible with the sense of getting into the story of which you're a participant of the story God is writing and composing and conducting uh, on a way to the fulfillment of the kingdom in which his glory will be revealed. <clears throat> uh, it's not to say that uh, uh, I think it's wrong to read the Bible personally, devotionally, uh, a psalm of encouragement, <clears throat> a psalm of weeping, um, a short a few section verses on a New Testament passage, and, and looking for something that might be immediately applicable or encouraging to you personally. Uh, that kind of reading is always uh, useful, fruitful. Uh, but the letters of the New Testament, for example, the Gospels, are written to 
communities. They're written to communities of people, to congregations. And it's about how they should, as followers of Christ, uh, get on the path, get on the way uh, of following uh, with their lives. So the, the scriptures are not written for uh, uh, sideline encouragement. They're not written for Sunday devotion. They're not written just for, um, uh, to tell us God loves us. It, it has all of that. But they're written to tell us that we're members of a, of a people, that uh, we now serve a king. One of the great themes of uh, Kuiper, in fact, the title of one of his three volume works was Pro Rega, for the king. Uh, we now recognize the one who claims all authority in heaven and earth, and he's our highest authority. He's the king. He's not only the savior and a friend, he's the king that is gathering us up into his kingdom, and we serve him ultimately in that kingdom. So if you read that way, and I would encourage you to read some of the passages, even whole letters that uh, perhaps you don't read very much. I don't know how your Bible reading goes. Uh, my wife likes to read a little bit every morning. I, I don't really do that. I, uh, the little section here and there, I like to sit down and read whole hunks of it and uh, chew on it for a while and then come back and maybe do something else. But however you do it, uh, begin to see that these letters and of course the Old Testament uh, with the prophets is all about the purposes of this people Israel that God is gathering from among the nations and the way he's revealing through them that he's the God of all nations. Uh, that's, a, that's a communal story about the uh, God who rules and holds these people accountable. Hebrews is a really uh, unusual letter. <clears throat> it's uh, the longest continuous kind of argument. It's like has a, a thesis from the beginning to the end, and it's chiefly about how the uh, author is showing Jesus as the great high priest, the one who has come. But it begins with these tremendous words about uh, in times past, God has spoken through his prophets, but now through his son, the one through whom all things have been created and whom all things hold together. And it goes on and develops that till the very end and catches up us up more and more. Uh, one of the passages I'm going to connect this with uh, today from Hebrews 10 <clears throat> is uh, a section in Hebrews 5 to 6 where the author is frustrated with uh, the readers because uh, they're still on milk and they need to get on to solid food. He wants more maturity. Uh, he's warning them in uh, uh, chapter four, uh, don't harden your hearts as Israel did in the day in the wilderness and was not allowed to enter the promised land. There remains a rest for the people of God, the, uh, the Sabbath rest of God, the seventh day of creation's fulfillment. It remains for those who hold on to their faith and continue in faithfulness. But it's a, it's a drama, and it's a drama that shows who this Christ is as the one who is from beginning to end the fulfillment of all things. Now in chapter 10, now I'm getting to this passage. He's just finished uh, up to verse 19 uh, with the, uh, the final things about Christ who's... Uh, uh, blood is uh, the propitiation of our sins, the blood of the lamb that uh, was uh, perpetual with Israel, Christ's sacrifice once and for all, not the repeated sacrifice. And then he says in verse, beginning verse 19, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, this is the most holy place of the heavens, uh, not just the earthly uh, temple, Enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, 
that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, I find this uh, passage, uh, I, I keep coming back to it and find ever uh, more profound things in it if you, if you uh, are patient with it. Because, of course, Hebrews, like much of Paul, is loaded with the uh, references to uh, the Old Testament, either by allusion or actual quotation. Uh, they're talking about the messianic coming of Jesus, who's the fulfillment of all Israel's hopes. And therefore, all of the allusions, it, it's integrally connected. You can't read the New Testament without seeing these constant allusions. And therefore, the priesthood and the blood and so on and so forth. But uh, we're on a journey. Hold on to the hope. Hold on to the faith. Keep on moving. We live by faith now. We live by hope. It's not yet finished. We're waiting for the fulfillment of all things. We can see it by faith, but not yet by sight. And how do you do that? How do you keep doing that and holding on to that hope? Well, you consider on the way how to spur one another on to good love and good deeds. Now, when I first heard that kind of phrase, oh yeah, I'm gonna to try to do a few good things and we should try to love one another. Uh, and maybe that boils down to a few things and then you go on to the next. This love and good deeds kind of phrase is the way of talking of just in a quick phrase about a way of life. And if you read uh, through Exodus, uh, Deuteronomy, you'll see these constant things about God saying, if you'll follow the path that I've given you, if you follow all of these laws that chart out the path to take, then blessings, blessings, blessings. But if you turn away from me, if you turn away from trusting me, if you turn away and desecrate it, you begin to get other gods, curses. My curses will be upon you. It's the blessings and curses. This path, are you for me or against me? Those who are following me, uh, and you can have no other God uh, before me. And the love and good deeds really is a summary kind of phrase for all the ways you learn to walk with God. Uh, of course it means giving a cup of cold water. It gives, means, you know, helping someone across the street who's having trouble walking. It means thinking of a friend who's in need, who's very in deep sorrow because of something that's happened in his or her life. There are all kinds of ways that you can imagine this kind of a, a deed. Okay, I did it and it's done. I was side by side with them and I finished. But this has to do with the kind of thing that's perpetual, like how do parents raise children? Well, day by day, night by night. And it's at the heart of the most important love and good deeds they will be doing. How to do that well. You're here at a college right now. The love and good deeds are include not just those few things you do on the side with a friend or to talk, say I'm sorry to someone that you've offended. It's how are you perpetually working at and loving the gifts God has given and the calling he has for you, which now at this point includes hard study to discern the ways, to discern some of the complexity of God's creation in which you've been fit, of which you're a part. Creation isn't just the things out there. At the height of creation are human beings. It's how we learn to live together and work together. 
So it's really a way of saying, uh, spurring one another on means not just asking I questions. What shall I do, Lord? Help me through this test today. Help me get through this course. Let me learn how to ask what I should do today that might be helpful to a neighbor. The spurring one another on means you're looking for ways to work together to serve one another because you are very closely interrelated. Now it's primarily students, but most of you have families. You're already connected with people. Maybe some of you have jobs, and that's only going to increase in complexity as you leave. And then immediately after this summary phrase of love and good deeds, which is really quite a comprehensive way of talking about the way you live your life, The uh, writer goes on to say, let us not give up meeting together a summer in the habit of doing. Now the verb there about uh, don't, uh, meeting together is the synagogue verb in, in Greek from which the word synagogue comes. Uh, and we tend to think of it. In fact, uh, when I thought, I was reading this first, the times I remembered that this sounded familiar was when some sermons were preached, let's say in summer in our churches and attendance was falling off. Uh, don't forget to come to church. But this, isn't, this doesn't mean that. Don't forget to go to synagogue. Uh, synagogue life of the, of the early rabbis really wasn't functioning even for Israel at that time. Uh, it was beginning, but this wasn't a phrase about that. It's very closely connected with spurring one another on to love and good deeds. You can only do that by meeting together, working together. So it's actually closer to a meaning of organize yourselves. Doesn't mean you have to have an organization, but you're gonna have to organize your things as simple as study groups to help uh, to study together. But it's going to become ever more significant. When you, uh, uh, you know, I can think of a, simple, a whole bunch of examples, uh, husband and wife at the very simple level, they get upset with each other and mad and so they quit talking. Uh, well, that's not a good way to be uh, uh, gathering together. That's not a way that's going to help you spur on to love and good deeds. You've got to work together. This is a team effort. This is a we effort. Uh, a marriage. As you get on and you go to work in a college, the people here at uh, Covenant, the professors working with you, this is a team effort. And there's the constant discussion, which is a lot of what committee meetings are for, and some people don't like committee meetings because they can be boring, but they're really about how are we doing here? What do we do this better with? How do we organize that? That's part of the gathering together. This college is an example of don't forsake to gather yourself together. Uh, the Israel was told you must teach your kids day by day, line upon line, what it, God has done, what he's doing, where you're headed. Don't let them forget the exodus. Don't let them forget what God is doing. Line upon line, teach them. Uh, Christians who are involved in needing to lead their children on and then on to maturity when you are now at an age of maturity, this educational venture is a very fundamental ingredient of spurring you on to the kind of love and good works which is going to require the kind of education you're getting. And right now, it's gathering you together for four years or however many years you're here, week after week, to be organizing that kind of effort. Uh, it's needed in more and more fields. What the motivation behind the Center for Public Justice that I uh, became involved in and then was directing was essentially the same thing in the political arena. We're citizens, but citizens are uh, citizens in a, a community, in a political, in a republic. 
in states and cities. We bear responsibility there. And if the only thing we ever do is read a few newspapers or judge by what we've heard from somebody, I'm voting for that guy, that guy, that woman is a nitwit, I'm not voting for them or whatever, that's all you do every four years, then uh, you're not being a very good citizen. We as Christians should be finding a way to get together to ask ever more intensely, working day after day, and some can do that full time, not everybody does it full time, but as citizens we're asking, how do we spur one another on to promote the kind of justice that expresses the love of God to see that justice is done uh, to people? Political life is fundamental to that. You can go on uh, and we can pick up any other vocation that you might be in. You join an in, become part of a business enterprise, you become a part of the foreign service of the government, you become part of a uh, uh, medical practice, you go into the legal profession, you are working together by the very nature of that organization to be pursuing a certain kind of calling which you ought to be constantly asking, what is this? And for me, how do I find fellow Christians in law, in medicine, in other areas where we can gather together, whether or not it's an organization of Christian lawyers, uh, whether it's an organization of Christian medical people, uh, even if it's an informal gathering together to ask, let's discuss this. What's the latest book? What are we learning about the crisis in medicine or law that we ought not to be a part of in its negative sense? That's what this passage is about. It's a passage about how you live together, perpetually building up the community of faith that is set on a course, a course that God is directing, and we can see that. And the encouragement of that is all the more as you see the day approaching, that's what you're to be doing. I grew up in a background, not my family, but uh, some of the churches that we were part of. I was born out in Colorado and grew up there. And, uh, some of the friends I knew in college and so forth. Uh, it was almost as if, if I only knew that Jesus was coming back next week, I would then know what to do. I would drop everything and I would go evangelize 24 hours a day. I would quit doing this and then I would know how to concentrate on my Christian duty. Well, the picture in the Bible is you go at wholeheartedly you don't know when Christ is coming, and it doesn't matter. If he's coming tomorrow or a week from now or ten generations from now, what matters is that you are looking ahead, and all the more as you see the day approaching, you are laboring ever more intensely with one another to spur one another on to love and good deeds, organizing together, working together in every way that you can to do that. Uh, that's what the Bible's about. The Bible is about this march that God is gathering in people, bringing them in from all the nations of the, the world now into these promises of Israel, into the promises of having a people, having a people that will dance with God, that will walk with God, that will be the wife of, of Christ, that will be the family, that will be the, the uh, gathering, shouting, celebrating, singing chorus forever and ever of the glory of God. And that glory of God is revealed in us as witnesses, as those who bear testimony to the king we serve in the way we live. What we say, of course, but in the way we live, as to how we demonstrate that's who our God. It ought to be evident in the way people look at us and why do you keep getting together to talk about this? Why do you keep organized this way? Why do you keep trying to encourage one another? Uh, what's your agenda? Who's paying you to do this? What, what is it about? 
Our God is called. We must serve. It's the meaning of our life, and it's great joy. Now, I want to connect this, and I don't have time to say enough about all that I would like with that passage or this one back in Hebrews 5 and 6, but I hope you'll read them again and connect them, whether you start with 5 and 6 and then go to chapter 10 or you come back from chapter 10 that I just read to 5 and 6. So listen to this. It begins at uh, verse 11 of chapter 5, and the author says, he's been talking about Melchizedek and all kinds of things that are crucial uh, for you to, to work with. He says, we have much to say about this, but it's hard to explain because you're slow to learn. Oh, I have so much I want to tell you about what we're learning along this pathway. Oh, I wish you could get it. I wish you could get it. In fact, though, by this time, you ought to be teachers yourselves. But you need someone to teach you yet the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk. That's great for babies. There comes a point when you should be beyond milk. You need solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave, this is on in chapter 6, therefore let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death, of faith in God, instruction about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment, and God permitting, we will do so. Now, what hits me has hit me from the time I first read this and still does. That simple milky stuff that we ought to be beyond sounds like a pretty heavy-duty meal to me. Uh, the one who's still living uh, by, on milk that we have to get beyond, that is not leave behind, but build on it, is uh, repentance from deeds that lead to death, faith in God, instruction about baptisms, laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. I think for many of us, we're still pretty weak in understanding even all of those. But now building on that, that's the overall theme. That's uh, what this letter is about. We need to get on to maturity and be acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. Now the word righteousness is again one of these words that if you say, oh yeah, I just have to learn to be a better person. Or you might say, I'm sure thankful Jesus is my righteousness and I'm not dependent on my works to achieve salvation. Uh, so then I get on from that and live freely. Or what uh, it goes on to say, solid food is those who train themselves to, uh, by perpetual constant use how to distinguish good from evil. Now that's again one of these very short summary phrases that captures everything about don't go that way, don't follow the path of least resistance and go after those gods and become pre preoccupied and turn away from my ways. Israel, body of believers, follow the way of life, the pathway of life, not the pathway of death. If you follow this way, blessings, blessings. Things will keep opening up. You'll become ever more mature. It requires patience, long-suffering, endurance, Paul would say. Uh, if you don't have time to be patient, 
then you're not going to become very mature. If you don't have time to learn all of the steps that it takes to be a follower of God in this world with the tasks he's given you here in this life, and that includes everything that will come your way, whether you marry or not, with friendships, with those around you, with the work you have, with children you may raise, with the uh, teaching you may do, with the help of, in uh, uh, social work, I mean, list them all. All of those are gonna be part of that venture. And in every one of them, you're gonna be needing to ask daily, what is the difference between good medicine and bad? What are the things we do? We got an opioid epidemic in this country. We've got practices that in, in, uh, uh, incur, continue to uh, often way over estimate what pills and in some cases extra uh, investigations take. It's not self-evident when those are overused and when they're not. That's what medical professionals need to be doing. If you're in medical school, if you're going on to medicine, if you're a doctor, you're gonna to have to ask, how do we follow a practice that is truly aimed to help people prevent illness and to recover from them? How do we do that and what's the wrong way to go? Those aren't simple questions, it comes in doing. A farmer has to learn how to distinguish. If he's dealing with crops and animals and everything else, how do I use this soil so that I can keep it and not lose it? How do these plants need to get treated? When do we use too much fertilizer? <clears throat> when are we spoiling the water that's under the soil? You can go down everything, every discipline, practice of law, educating students, parents raising kids. There's, there's no, uh, at least from my discovery, <clears throat> and I'm glad it's my kids that are now raising their kids, uh, and we're beyond that, uh, and it appears that we didn't do too much damage to them, though they often would tell us sitting in the back seat of the car, you know, Dad, what your problem is, and then they would pontificate for a while about my problems. Uh, but uh, in raising children, especially young ones, and then as they get older, what's the right way to go? And every child's different. How is the way to encourage them to do this and to encourage them and show them not to do that. What's the best way to learn, to teach, to care for one? And you have to do that with your friends. They're all gonna be different. The people you work with, some of them are gonna drive you nuts. How do you deal with them? Uh, these are ways of learning good from evil. And it's the path of righteousness. Righteousness really stands for how to live rightly. How to live in accord with God's purposes. Abraham trusted God, followed him all the way to the willingness to give up his son. And from the beginning of that, early on in that journey, when God calling Abraham, God saw Abraham's faith and counted it to him as righteousness. Counted it to him as right. That's the way to live and go forward. We have to live by faith and hope, but we need to become mature. But you can't become mature all by yourself. No person becomes a mature person like just by sheer gut energy. Oh, today I'm gonna to become a more mature person. And I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna drink more V8 juice. And I'm gonna quit eating uh, hamburgers and whatever. I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do that. And I'm gonna study harder and I'm gonna try. It's good to do many vigorous things like that. It's good to fast once in a while. My 
wife keeps telling me and urging me to do. Uh, it's good to do these things, but the maturation comes in the cooperative efforts of spurring one another on to love and good deeds, and in a school like this, working to find out what more can I learn? Not just more book stuff and have more stuff in my head, but how does it help me see how I'm gonna go? Where is God taking creation? Why did God create you in the first place, and me and everybody else? What's our aim and purpose here? To learn to do that, we, in our ignorance and sin and darkness, have been met by Jesus Christ. That's the message of the gospel from beginning to end. Christ has come. He's the one who is the savior of sinners, but he's the one in and through whom all things hold together from the beginning. He's the alpha <clears throat> and not just the omega. He's the Lord and king, not just the savior. That one we need to know and to love and to follow. But how do we do that if we don't know who he is in the depth of becoming mature. The author here saying uh, we need to leave the elementary teachings about Christ doesn't say leave Christ behind and your piety of trust. It's leaving the elementary te teachings. It's, it's saying after elementary school, get on with it. You gotta go to high school. And after high school, get on with it, go to college, come to covenant. Uh, you have to keep going on and you're always building on what came before but we have to sense that more and more as a community. <clears throat> and I would say that that also entails this idea of recognizing that uh, we live late in the journey of human beings on earth. There are things of, that have been piled up, both good and for evil, in, in music, in the arts, in science, in family life, in business life, in banking, in every conceivable arena. You're gonna enter those already, you're gonna be uh, participating in suffering from the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generations. But you're also going to be benefiting from all the righteous deeds that were pursued and encouraged down through history. And whereas uh, Kuiper is not uh, a saint and he is not without all kinds of flaws, was not without all kinds of flaws, he was one of the ones that I learned a tremendous amount from about how we think widely about the whole of this life and our journey in it. And there are many such people that we can look back to, on back, of course, to the apostles themselves, that are part of what Hebrews calls the great cloud of witnesses. They have gone before us, the journeys of faith, and they are there cheering us on. It's one of the pictures he has. Been gathered around, they fought the good fight, they've entered, and they're cheering us on. Get a sense of that community and that that's the world in which you're living. And then you can take on whatever else is uh, around you and you can live with your fellow human beings, with fellow Christians, and you can have and look forward to that growth and maturity. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your uh, love and patience with us. Slow to learn, wanting to hang on to the, to the milk bottle, wanting somebody else to show us the way wanting to get by with less effort, wishing things were easy, being ignorant of all that you've done in generations past, not fully grasping the significance of what you have yet in store. Lead us by this trust in Christ which you've begun in us and in what we've already matured into, building on that base to become ever more mature people, ever more mature Christians, 
ever more mature servants of yours, able to be the good stewards of this earth and of one another as we seek to serve you. We pray that you'll guide us in all these things. Give us your blessing, we pray in Jesus' name.